Welcome to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast. I take the sting out of divorce. This is your host, Emily Sanchez. Welcome everybody. This is Emily Sanchez, the Divorce Coach. And today I have a very special guest, Dr. Richard Burton. I'm so happy you're here. I really have been looking forward to this and I know a lot of people are looking forward to you answering some questions. So I'll get right into it, but I wanted to introduce you just a little bit. Um, you are a psychiatrist, yes. one of my friends, raising six boys who are amazing musicians, and we love the Burtons. And I've always respected Dr. Burton and his views, and I think that he helps so many people and is doing so much good. So I wanted- oh, Thank you. You're welcome. Um, he's been in practice for 10 years. He's at Redemption Psychiatry and he's gone to USC Medical School. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say today. Well, so, I'm happy to be here today. Well, I am glad so, that you're here. Yeah, it's a fun opportunity. <laughs> good. Well, we'll just get right into it. I have um, some very personal questions actually okay. from some people that I coach. Um, and the first one, and, it, and it's been one that my child has asked, mm -hmm. uh, especially when she was a little bit younger. But the question always comes is, why did you get divorced? And a lot of people really hesitate or they tiptoe on this because it, it, it gives the parent anxiety. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of times, a lot more worry than it has to. And so just as a general rule, what would you say to that question? Why, why did you get divorced? So that, it's a good question. Um, how do you address that? I think the most important thing is to be frank and open with your children. Um, I think a lot of times we have fear and maybe it comes from, you know, I think a lot of our parents in, in the prior generation, it was, we don't talk about problems. Uh, but I think it can be very a uh, valuable thing to talk to children about um, what is going on. I think there it's important that they start to understand at a very early age. And I think we speak to their level. I, I don't think we tiptoe around or pretend like something's not happening. It, it's important to say what is happening, um, but at their level. So you don't give a ton of details. You know, if there's a problem with alcohol or if there's a problem with pornography or something like that I don't think you give details but you might say we're having difficulties talking to each other or we we just don't get along as much as we used to and I think those are things that children can understand they experience it on the playground mm -hmm. they experience it in school mm -hmm. or at church and I think in bringing it down to their level, you're giving them a, a couple of gifts. One is you're helping them to understand the process, but you're also helping them to deal with their own challenges in life. And, and when they see mommy or daddy struggling with something, mm -hmm. and this is how mommy and daddy de deals with it, it teaches them that when they have problems in life, they can get through it. So, you know, there is a side to the challenge of getting divorced or separated that um, can be a, a gift for your children if you um, talk about it in a, in a healthy way. Wonderful. I always love to see the positives 
yeah. out of what you know so many feel is a negative situation. But I'm going to get really specific okay. a little bit. So let's give you a scenario. Let's say that the father has cheated on the the mother mm-hmm. various times, and there is a 13 year old girl who has a sense maybe of what's going on as the mother would you say your father has betrayed my trust would you kind of pinpoint it on everyone makes choices your father has chosen or does that create separation between child and parent what would you suggest so i mean again this is a it's really challenging these situations are always really difficult um if trust has been betrayed, I don't think you lie about it. But I think it's really important to, at the same time, not alienate the other parent. You know, the, the problem with just focusing on the betrayal mm-hmm. is that um, you are creating this unspoken message that people can't be trusted, mm-hmm. or the institution of marriage is just not something that is possible uh, in a healthy way. And so I, th- I think it's important, yes, I think you can still talk about it specifically and say, you know, daddy did something to, I, it made him me not trust him in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how extensive the betrayal is or the, the things that he may have done to create mistrust. You know, there may be extreme cases where it may not be healthy, you know, especially if someone has done something that is illegal and, you know, may end up, it's something that where they could end up in jail. But I would say that probably in most cases of divorce, um, even when there's been betrayal, it probably doesn't warrant complete alienation from another parent. And, you know, the concern there is, again, that that message that you're sending you may think that you're, in, and perhaps you have your own anger that you're also acting out on that may be coming across as well. It's kind of this revenge about all this betrayal that you've had to suffer, which isn't fair. But be careful about how that message comes across because it may um, solely your child's way of dealing with people in the future in general mm-hmm. in relationships mm-hmm. and and i don't think that's something that um you'd want to leave with your child mm-hmm. you know to and to go a, a step further on this I, I think one of the things that i see a lot in psychiatry in my relationships and I'll, I'll make an analogy here for a moment is a lot of people that i see have experienced this phenomenon that when a relationship breaks down you can never fix it. Mm -hmm. And one of the most powerful things that I have seen in clinical practice is working with people and having the experience where, you know, maybe I do something as a psychiatrist to fail one of my patients, but then we repair the relationship. And that repair, that mending, can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something to keep in mind here that you know you may have a spouse that has betrayed you and it, and it's painful and it's not okay but it, it's possible also to repair that relationship it doesn't mean that necessarily you don't get divorced or that you mm-hmm. you know get back together with someone who's unhealthy but you mm-hmm. might mend the relationship in a way 
that um, is healthy in a different way. You know, perhaps, you know, they finally do their work 10 years later down the road and, and you can have a, a cordial relationship. And I, I think that can be very healing, um, not only for yourself, but to see your children mm-hmm. model that to your children that you can repair relationships is a huge gift because we are going to encounter in our life all kinds of people at work, at church, mm-hmm. at school, mm-hmm. people who betray us or offend us, and, and obviously not as deeply as, as you might be hurt in divorce, but um, it's, it's something that is, I think is really important to learn how to find that healing, that repair with people. Absolutely. And it's something, too, that I always you know, say on my podcasts and with my clients is how important it is to respect their parent, their mm-hmm. other parent. And you have to know your audience. That's someone mm-hmm. they love. And so to respect them and to get into a working relationship is just huge for the child. Um, But going along back to maybe there is that kind of a disparage there. I have a client whose daughter senses that there it has been the betrayal. Mm -hmm. And now she won't talk to her dad. Mm -hmm. And what do you do in that situation of trying to repair that relationship? I think it's those same principles. You know, I think there's going to be a challenge of, the, the mother in that situation being able to um, overcome her own challenges. You know, I, I do feel like the role of a mother and a father in parenting and up and growing up is is really important. It's a very important part of development. There are things that a mother can bring that a father cannot, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I think it could be very easy to just buy into, well, okay, I'm not making her um, feel resentful towards her father. She's doing it all on her own. And and then then you feel justified and just, I'm just supporting her in that stance. The problem with that is it may be just a temporary thing where she's going through her own grieving process. Right. And it might not be something that would normally be sustained unless it's nurtured. And I don't know that that's Mm. something that should be nurtured. So, you know, does that make sense? It does. It does. So what you're saying is whether it's a personal grief of the daughter that she sees her dad has done Mm -hmm. something to hurt the mom, she has to go through that process. And then to evaluate if you are feeding into that to um, maybe harbor that grief even longer. Right. So knowing when when that time is and i think this particular mother is so good Mm -hmm. with separating her own betrayal wanting the relationship uh, to be great between the dad and her daughter and so i think just being cognizant of her own daughter's grieving process and but that's a really good point and then being careful to not enter in and possibly feed upon that yeah but to um, to nurture a good relationship between daughter and dad and you know i think some something that can be very helpful in that situation is to really value validate what that young woman is going through um to validate you know what you're angry with your father you know that's it's okay to be angry Mm-hmm. Um, that's very natural based on what happened. And you know, she could see him as being the cause of, of all the family breakup. 
And maybe he was. Maybe he was mm -hmm. kind of that seed. And I think it's it's good to process that. And maybe you know, maybe that is the opening, not necessarily to say you need to have a relationship with your father, but mm -hmm. maybe starting with why don't you want to have a relationship with your father? What, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Would you, is there a magical, you know, you could even introduce the idea of is there this mm -hmm. magical idea of what would do you wish your life had been like? Okay. And, and, and this is what your life is now. And then maybe comparing, what well, are there any things in your imaginary life that you could still have? Yes. And how could we make that possible? That's really good. My next question is just kind of more general. Okay. Um, so a lot of kids, they're hurting, you know, just as mm -hmm. that daughter. They're hurting. They're not really understanding. They're going through whatever they're going through with their own grief. Uh, You're ruining my life is a phrase that I've heard mm -hmm. um, many times. And what are some of those warning signs that maybe you're freshly divorced and you're seeing your kids grieve? What are some warning signs to pay attention to? Warning signs of? That the kids are exhibiting that may, that the parent may need to take action. So one thing I can think of is maybe their grades start to slip. Mm -hmm. what, what are some other just general sure. warning signs? That... I mean, you might see, you know, some of the warning signs that you might even see with, um, that they, they say to watch out for so substance abuse, you know, grades dropping, uh -huh. um, withdrawing more, outbursts, singular outbursts erratic behaviors, things that are maybe not typical for that child. Okay. Um, you know, so maybe just, you might call it personality changes. Mm -hmm. uh, just behaviors of, you know, why are they doing this? This is not my child. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, those would all be signs, I think. Good. Yeah. Hopefully it would be easy for the parent to see that. So just yeah. abnormal right. things that your child usually does not exhibit would be the signal for you to, to take action. Yeah. So how do parents, if they were to see that warning sign, how could they nip it in the bud from the beginning? They first see a warning yeah. sign, what do you do? Well, I think the first thing that a parent does is you don't wait for the warning sign. Oh, I see. <laughs> right? Yes. So I think you start with um, I like that. talking to them and, you know, maybe not waiting for some of those things to happen. But, you know, maybe it's because it's so chaotic for yourself mm -hmm. and, you know, you're not able to catch it before that time. Uh, or maybe you do talk to your child and you're still seeing behaviors, um, which can happen as well. I, I think at that point, you know, you first start to engage your child. Um, and it, it might depend on how, you know, psychologically savvy you are. But I think that's the first step. Is just trying to engage them more and, and you know talking to them about their behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know that I would focus on the behavior itself, but I think I would always see the behavior as a symptom. You don't treat symptoms, you treat the cause of the symptom. Mm -hmm. You don't treat a bullet wound just by stopping bleeding. You remove the bullet, yes, you get to the source. And so, when you see, you know, the child is teasing their sibling or yelling at you, um, you know, those are concerning behaviors and not acceptable. But I don't think you focus on that behavior. I think you focus on, wow, you've seemed really upset lately. Is, is, is there something else behind this? And, mm -hmm. and maybe see what their insight is behind it. And it's, I don't know that I would all either 
make assumptions either. I mean, you can maybe suggest some things if your child doesn't seem completely intuitive about what is going on or they don't want to talk about it. Um, and, you know, there might be a point where you just feel like you're not connecting. And I think at that mm -hmm. point, mm -hmm. um, it might be time to seek professional help, mm -hmm. whether it, um, you know, maybe, maybe start with therapy or, you know, the other thing that can happen with uh, mental illness, if there's a family hi history of mental illness, or maybe there's not a family history, but sometimes um, depression or anxiety um, disorders can be triggered by intense amount of stress. And so, you know, right. a child that may not normally have depression, they're completely normal, never had any problems, and now all of a sudden your child is acting depressed and like, no, it's just because of the situation. Well, it still could be depression. Um, and, mm -hmm. and that's where, you know, you, I think it would be wise to seek out a psychiatric evaluation and have a professional determine that mm -hmm. if there's signs of that, of, you know, withdrawing, difficulty, concentrating in school, irritability, um, kind of feeling hopeless or mm -hmm. even suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, changes in, in diet, how they're eating, their energy level, if they're sleeping more or just not engaging in activities, those are all signs of depression and, you know, could warrant uh, medication, mm -hmm. potentially. Treatment with depression doesn't always mean medication, but if there is depression and you don't want to pursue medication I would at least pursue therapy. Right, right. Now, I think you already uh, answered my next question, okay. which was for the more serious issues. Mm -hmm. And But what if somebody is saying, like, what's your answer for, well, we don't have resources. We don't mm -hmm. have that much money. Uh, what do you say to people that just say, there's no way I can do therapy? Mm -hmm. You know, I, as a psychiatrist, I'm a doctor, I prescribe medications. That's most of what I do. I do do a, a bit of therapy, but a lot of what I do is, is prescribe medications. And that being said, I'm a very big advocate of therapy. I think it is something that can change people more than medication can. And even mm -hmm. studies have shown that, um, a lot of you know depression studies have shown that people who take antidepressants and get a response and then stop, 80% of the people within about six months will relapse mm -hmm. into back into depression. Mm -hmm. People who do therapy to address their depression, therapy only to depress, um, address depression, and then finish therapy have about a 20% relapse rate at about a year. Mm -hmm. So in other words, therapy is much more sustainable mm -hmm. once the treatment has ended. Um, and, and, you know, that being said, you know, what is the magic of therapy? Well, the magic of therapy, I think, is that people learn how to cope better. Mm -hmm. You're, and, and that it's an unspoken, it's a non-visible skill or asset that I think a lot of people don't appreciate. When, when we see normal people walking around, um, <laughs> we don't really appreciate healthy behaviors mm -hmm. and, you know, I think a lot of things that we are willing to pay for, we're willing to pay for things that are tangible. We're willing to pay for right. you know, a psychiatrist to prescribe a medication because now I'm taking a pill and I can see this and it's, it's almost this tangible thing that is helping me. Mm -hmm. um, where therapy doesn't feel so tangible. Mm -hmm. But it's, I think it has the same kind of merit that getting an education does. Um, an education can be very expensive. You know, a, 
a decent education just at a community college can cost thousands of dollars. And if you think about about it in that way, I think that therapy is an investment. And it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you think of someone trying to get through life without an education, I, I'm not saying that isn't possible, but people are have a better chance of being successful with you know, college degree, for example. And I think the same way, you know, the longer someone is suffering and not getting help for distorted thinking, sometimes it be- can become more ingrained. Right. And especially in those formative years right. when a child, you know, is should be you know, hopefully socializing and learning how to interact with people. And now in this crucial point in time, mm-hmm. now they're withdrawn and, and, you know, disconnected from people. They're missing out a, a very important part of life of learning how to mm-hmm. connect with people. And so to wait and see when, you know, we have enough money, um, it's one strategy. It's concerning to me, though, that because you, you don't want to... If someone breaks a leg and you just, oh, we're not going to go to the doctor until right, right. they have enough money, um, they could have a limp the rest of their life if that bone heals crooked. Mm-hmm. We don't see the brain healing crooked, though. And so we think, oh, right. well, that's not yes. a big deal. Uh, I can be fixed. And, and it can, but it can be harder the longer it's it's not addressed. Well, my family member recently told this to me, you know, when she was talking to her Mm -hmm. daughter, she said, if you had cancer, we would give you chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. We, you know, because it's growing, it's, it's, it's getting worse. So you have to look at it like that and not maybe what society thinks, but I think society is coming around knowing that it is, it is. And so, yeah, I really appreciate that. So parents, if you feel there is an issue exhaust resources and and let's nip Mm -hmm. it in the bud now so um, and just you know just a quick thought on that is it it can be a challenge with the financial resources but Mm -hmm. i think you know look for other places where you can get support from right church can be supportive sometimes or um, even family members if you you know advocate for this like this is really important we can't afford it could you help us out or yes. even lend us money uh, so I think there are ways that if you really are you know invested in making this happen you can mm-hmm. make it happen mm-hmm. and not delay ways of being resourceful mm-hmm. sure yes so I'm going to take a turn a little bit. Sure. This is like not a good segue at all. But a question I have. Now, sometimes we make the mistake of venting about our ex or the situation mm-hmm. in front of our children. What are the effects when the children hear a parent venting about the other parent in the situation? Yeah. We touched on it a little bit We did. Earlier, but... um, and, you know, the, the specific effects... Uh, may depend on how old the child is. And, you know, to really look at this in detail, I think you'd want to look at child development and where someone, where a child is in development. Um, you know, one one thing that um, comes to mind is until the age of 10 years old, children have a very concrete way of thinking. Um, they also have a very... Um, in other words, they don't abstract. Um, they're mm-hmm. they're not able to understand things like good and uh, bad, and there's something in the middle. Like some people are 
do bad things that they might be a good person. That's a really difficult concept for a, you know, under age 12 child mm -hmm. to understand. Um, and there's also a lot of magical thinking. Mm -hmm. So it, it's mm -hmm. very yes. normal for a child under the age of 10 to still be you know, infatuated with flying or you know, magical powers or being a you know, fairy or something like that. So, uh, and that's, you know, that's not abnormal at all. But tied into that is, is the whole concept of, so now you have the seven-year-old and mommy just said, daddy, who, you know, maybe this child has thought up to this point is just, he's king of the world. Superhero. He's a yeah. superhero. And daddy's a horrible person. Yeah. So now daddy falls from grace to, I mean, he's like the devil now. <laughs> There's no in between a lot of times yes. with little children. It's black and white. Um, and so that can be really hard for a child. Mm -hmm. um, now, so I guess the next question is, mm -hmm. what do you do mm -hmm. if you do that? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you can't unsay it now, right? Right, right. Um, and I think this is the part where you again go back to what I talked about before. You try to have a, a fair conversation. And, and maybe that's where you also model your own frailties. You know, I, I was upset. Mm -hmm. um, Made this a is, mistake. I shouldn't have said it like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that you lie about it either. Mm -hmm. um, but most likely if it's a... If, the, if it's the way you're describing it, where you let something slip because mm -hmm. of anger, mm -hmm. there's probably a little bit of hyperbole in that statement when you slipped. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Is that possibly fair to say? I think so. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think you, you just come back to saying what is truth, but mm -hmm. maybe also looking at both sides. Um, I, I think a lot of times... We are so focused on what is negative that has happened mm -hmm. that we are really blind to what is positive. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, I, I was just seeing a patient yesterday who um, has uh, had some traumatic things happen to her, and um, a lot of it was at work. And she has a lot of fear of going back to work now because of this, these negative things that have happened to her. Mm -hmm. uh, but she's so focused on all the bad things that can happen mm -hmm. that she's recent until, you know, we talked and hopefully I, you know, I helped her to see a little bit more completely blind to all the positives. Mm -hmm. So, and I give the analogy to her of if I were to present someone with, Hey, I have this medication um, it could help you, but just by the way, um, you know, it could cause, you know, constipation or headaches or um, shakes, or you might not sleep. Um, and, you know, potentially you could even become suicidal and kill yourself. Um, and, and that's the medication. There you go. Will you take it? Mm. They're not going to take it. Nobody's mm -hmm. going to take it for that. Um, now, it's not that I won't tell people what the side effects are, but I'm going to say, you know, the chances of this happening are pretty small. Here are the percentages. Suicide less than you know 0.1 percent. Mm -hmm. um, most people that have some of these other side effects, it goes away. And 85 percent of people that take this medication, or whatever, 60 percent of people feel better. Mm -hmm. 
So now I'm opening up, here are all the positive sides. People are going to be more likely to want to take it. And I think that's the, the danger in divorce and, and all this, in viewing this, is a lot of times we're so focused on the negative, we don't focus on anything positive that has happened. Um, and there, I would argue that you can find things. Mm -hmm. that maybe it's hard. Sometimes it can be hard. Um, but maybe there's a, when you were with dad, I know it was only two times a year, mm -hmm. but when, remember that time he was there for your birthday party and you were mm -hmm. just so happy. Right. Um, so there were times I know dad wasn't there a lot of the time, but mm -hmm. he tried when he, right. When he right. was there, even though it wasn't <laughs> as much as you would have wanted it to be, but finding those things again, I think that helps to have faith and hope in humanity and relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you do make the mistake yeah, right. <laughs> of Get venting, you need to stop yourself, admit you're human, mm -hmm. and say, hey, remember that time when when your dad did this? Remember that time when this and that? Re we can always reframe. We can always find right, the positive. Reframing, right, balancing the positive with the negative. Yeah. yeah. And, and teaching some of that gray. Mm -hmm. Helping... To, to teach that there's not just black and white. Mm -hmm. Good. So going back a little bit where we were talking about therapy mm -hmm. and um, the parents really trying to be resourceful that if that is a, a need and something that they see in their child to get done. Now, what if I have a client, this is the scenario, with an older teenage boy mm -hmm. and he, um, I believe, is suicidal. He is showing signs huge signs of depression obviously mm -hmm. and is completely refusing help from church leaders and um therapy in general so you know i always want to mm -hmm. be the the person that forces you know mm -hmm. and, and i have that type a personality where i can envision myself you know in their room and and bringing a therapist to them or or whatever but what do you do in that situation. So I, I think there are different degrees. And what you're describing to me sounds more of a, an extreme degree where there's great concern. Um, we can always, we can start at the, why don't we start at the, the lighter end okay, lighter. first and we'll, we'll go to more serious. So on the lighter side, I, I think it's important to really just try to improve your parenting skills or, or re-implement or implement those things that are just natural consequences. So as an example, um, I think having appropriate use of cell phone and computers, limiting those in an appropriate way, um, those are things that I think can be just natural consequences. When, it, when a child is starting to withdraw, um, I, I think that's a natural uh, tendency for most people when they're dealing with something stressful is to not want to deal with it. I think that's why, mm -hmm. you know, there's something uh, called happy hour. Yes. Because so many people want to escape. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just a natural thing that I think people are drawn to. But if it's done in extreme, um, it can become unhealthy and potentially um, develop an unhealthy pattern that might be hard to break. Um, and so, you know, having normal rules for the house, you know, being able to earn computer time, being able to um, pay for your own phone, 
mm-hmm. in some way, whether it's by having your own job to pay for the phone or having some kind of household chores. And if those are not followed through, then the consequence is no computer or no phone. Um, the same way that, and I think a lot of times parents have difficulty implementing that because they think, well, I'm just being mean and my child mm-hmm. tells me I'm being mean. Um, but if you don't pay your AT&T bill and you tell them, well, hey, I'm sorry I was late, but I'll, I'll pay you next month, I promise. Mm-hmm. AT&T is going to cut off your cell phone. They're mm-hmm. not going to say, oh, okay, well, we'll let you go this time. No. And I think mm-hmm. that's the way the real world is. So I don't think it's being mean in implementing those consequences it's teaching them what the real world is like so that they're more ready to deal with it so basically life keeps going life keeps going and it sometimes we feel i say we because i was you know a divorced person with a daughter um divorced parents they feel like they have to tiptoe my child is suffering right now or maybe if they're not even suffering they'll say well i've just i don't want to upset them right so I'm going to allow this or that, but this has to be a time where your routine is strict, your parenting is just as strict as it was before, this, so Absolutely. they see continuity and can feel security and, and no accountability. Right. So let's move to more of an extreme case. Well, and, and on that same note, chances are, as, as the parent who's getting divorced, you still have to do your responsibilities. You still have mm-hmm. to be a parent, if you're working, you still have to earn the money. You still have to pay the rent. Um, life doesn't stop for you either. And that's hard. But it's something you just have to get through. You have to keep on with life. Right. And I think you know you have the same expectations of your child. Mm-hmm. You can talk about it. Right. <laughs> but this is hard. And mm-hmm. it's harder than it normally is. Uh, and it is. But it's something that you can get through. Uh, but I don't know that you should necessarily give them a break right um but you try to keep on keep moving on now what about that that older teenage son who is refusing therapy yeah so on the the more extreme side um yeah if a child is not willing to engage in therapy it really depends again on what is the intensity um and how how ongoing is this um, if there's a concern that this child is suicidal and that potentially suicide is imminent, mm-hmm. um, a parent does have the right to have their child hospitalized involuntarily. Right. Um, you are the guardian. You can make that choice for your child against their will. And that's okay to do. And you actually should do that. And it's the same, you know, I, I come to the same... Um, situation when I'm dealing with an adult who mm-hmm. tells me I'm suicidal, I'm going to kill myself, and I don't want to be hospitalized, right. I, I call 911 and right. I send them out or have them picked up um, because um, I have a responsibility to make sure someone is safe. And you know, I think that a parent has that same ability to do that. Um, and you know, it, it's really interesting because some kids who are hospitalized. Um, who are suicidal, it can be very eye-opening them and eye-opening for them. Sometimes it can be really life-changing for them to go to the hospital and see some other youth who have some major problems. Right. And that can be like, wow, I, okay, 
things could be worse. Yes. And sometimes that in and of itself can be a, a negative enough experience, but helpful for them to see things in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the other side, though, is is challenging because to force a child to do therapy who doesn't want to do therapy. Um, I've seen a lot of adults who did therapy as a child and didn't want to, and they tell me, I didn't want to do it, and it didn't help me. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a challenging thing. And I, I will say, though, even as a psychiatrist and even being in the mental health field, seeing a therapist or seeing a psychiatrist is not the only way. Um, and I think mm-hmm. we pursue all options that are available, whether it be you know helping the child to engage in church activities right. or... Um, social activities or family activities, um, even, you know, trying to spend time with the child. Um, but I, I think the, the big key there is the concern, if there's a lot of withdrawal, something needs to be implemented to bring them out of withdrawal, mm-hmm. whether it's it's more the standard techniques of, you know, the lighter side, just to summarize, is more implementing just normal rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. A little bit deeper is going to be have them engage in some way um, with church, social, family, um, therapy. Mm-hmm. And at the deepest level is is forcing them to be hospitalized if it's that extreme. Right. And obviously you don't want to be forcing your child to be hospitalized every month because they're not doing what you tell them to do. But it's right. But it, it is a you know last resort measure if there's concern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, That's all the questions that I have today, but I have really learned a lot. And um, we both hope, especially that if you've been listening through this, that you find some hope in this and that you can find some direction for whatever your situation is. So thank you so much. And thank you for listening. And like I always say, make it a great day and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening today. Come on over and visit me at CoachEmilySanchez.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, make it a great day.